Hello and welcome to the Oz Investing Podcast, the podcast for the everyday investor. Just a quick note before we begin today's podcast is that nothing in this podcast should be considered as personal financial advice. If you're ever in doubt about your financial situation, please reach out to a qualified financial advisor. With all that said and done, let's get into today's episode. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Oz Investing Podcast. My name is Sam and with me as always is my buddy Jude. How are you Jude? Doing well, mate. How are you? Very well, thanks. I'm extremely excited with today's podcast because we have another guest on. I'm very excited to welcome Lee from Family Finance. In her videos, she talks about, as a family, how they save money, how they budget, plan for retirement, pay down debt, and grow their net worth and investing strategy. And the good thing about the channel is that, you know, they are absolutely transparent, you know, open about their personal situation in a way. And it's very relatable for, uh, you know, a family in that similar type of situation. So, Ali, can you give us a little more introduction in terms of, uh, you know, what all do you really go about doing it in, on your channel and uh, some, you know, certain insights into uh, why you started the channel as well? Sure, Ken. Thanks for having me on the podcast. I just really wanted to make something relatable to people just like us. I was watching heaps of financial independence content and I just kind of felt that it just wasn't quite relatable. Mm -hmm. So we're a middle-income family. I'm a school teacher. I work part-time. My husband's an electrician and we earn middle income. So I just think it is relatable to people just like us. Awesome. Fantastic. And yeah, I understand that you're trying to reach fire. That's something that I can definitely kind of resonate with. What was the first article or podcast that really got you hooked on the whole concept of FIRE and what made you share your experience through YouTube? It was actually Aussie Firebug, which you've probably heard of. And I was in a Facebook group for the Barefoot Investor and I was just wanting to know more. I just got obsessed. So someone mentioned the Aussie Firebug podcast and this was years ago before I'd even really started listening to podcasts. I'm like, podcasts? They're a thing, right? Okay. So I just just got hooked really from that point on. And then I discovered podcasts and I just kept listening to as much as I could. And as I said earlier, I kind of felt like I had something to add. I wanted to show others that you can still do this if you're working part time, if you have kids in daycare. I just really felt that I had things I could share. Fantastic. Fantastic. And I think, you know, you, you referenced a couple of you know, well-heard names in the financial circles, right? Like you referred to uh, the Aussie Firebug, the Barefoot Investors. I think those are good basic building blocks in terms of anyone wanting to start off as well. Got a lot of reference material out there. And you know, it just gives everyone that that insight in terms of how to really start with a plan in a way. So, you know, thanks for sharing that information. When it comes to, you know, your videos, you you've you've been very open in terms of your portfolio. Uh, how it is progressing and I think that's that's so good to see something where you know something in action which is live so how do you when you when you try to make your portfolio or construct your portfolio how did you try and segregate those different assets right uh, in terms of the allocations and what was the underlying thought process for that thanks well I did really want to be transparent because that's what I like to see and what that's what I like to hear so That's why we do share our real numbers, absolutely everything. Like sometimes it's screenshots from our bank accounts and our investment portfolio. I came up with my allocation like 
there's no perfect allocation, but it is probably heavily Aussie. Mm-hmm. So I try to be 60% Aussie. And because I read Peter Thornhill's book and I just become obsessed with the dividend approach because okay. mm. I am an anxious investor. So the dividend approach just works for me because, I don't know, you just keep getting that income coming in, the share price drops and you still get your dividends. And actually, if the share price drops, sometimes that can be a good thing because you can buy more dividends with your money. So right. that's why we're heavily Aussie with 60%. And then 40% international. And I've just got two international ETFs. But uh, but just to, just to add on to that particular uh, point, Lee, uh, I'm, I'm, assuming, I'm assuming that, you know, in addition to your portfolio, I think there, do you also have a separate, uh, your super account, which is separate on top of that? Or how, how is that set up currently? Because uh, usually in, in terms of when our super set up, right, uh, there are instances where, the industry funds are also heavily skewed towards the Australian stocks. So how do you manage that, you know, that balance? That's right. So both my husband and I changed our allocations within our superannuation mm-hmm. and they're still a little bit too heavy in the Aussie and I probably should change them over. And they're both one of ours. I don't know which one is, but one's 50-50 Aussie shares, international shares, and then one's 60-40 with 60%. Aussie I think but I probably do need to increase some of that to international okay okay Mm. but but predominantly as that means as you you pointed out the the focus on the Australian shares is obviously to reap the benefits of the dividends coming in and uh, you know in terms of and I think the Australian stocks are are known in terms of giving out dividends on a regular basis right so so that was predominantly your thought process in terms of your allocation of uh, your portfolio yeah, that's right. I just really like those dividends coming in. And two, we invest in things that we understand. So I understand the Aussie market. I understand the Aussie companies. And that's what I invest in. I still have those international ETFs and some of those top companies in those are those companies that we know, like Apple and Microsoft. But when it comes down to it, I'm just confident with having a higher majority in Australia and just the bonus of those dividends, really. Fantastic. Fantastic. Awesome. And yeah, as you mentioned, you're very open and very transparent about your portfolio, which I think is fantastic. And I did notice that the majority of your portfolio does seem to be made up of ETFs. So just wanted to ask, what are some of the criteria that you look for when you are investing in ETFs? And also, do you follow a core and satellite approach as well? I like the broad ETFs, so the ones that cover a wide right. So the ones that cover a wide range of companies. I'm mm-hmm. not really into the more niche ones. What like I like the about those ETFs. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What I like about those broad ones, if you're investing in the top 300 companies, it self cleanses. So mm. this week, the top 300 companies are these companies. In 10 years' time, it will be a different 300 companies. I don't need to think about that. Whereas mm. some of these tech ones or self-driving vehicle ones, how do we know that they're going to be like, obviously the future's heading that way, but we really don't know. And I don't want to have to think about that. So I just really like the broad ones. So I've got my ASX 300 ETF and then I've got mm-hmm. my US top 500 companies. And then I've got Vanguard's VGS, which is about 1500 international companes. Mm. So I like yeah. to keep it that way. 
And that one's a very broad range of one, very yes. large. But I have been getting itchy feet lately and I've been thinking about diving a bit more into a few individual stocks. Mm-hmm. I do have a couple at the moment, but they're not really ones that I would keep. Mm-hmm. But I am starting to think about maybe having 10% in individual companies just just for something, probably more for my own enjoyment, really. <laughs> yep. Yep. Yeah. yep. I think, yeah, that's uh, – so you think a 10% – number is something which you're relatively okay with in terms of taking some levels of risk and you're I saying think so. like i'm no warren buffett and i know that really <laughs> we can't beat the market over time but i'd like to just do it just to learn a bit more about individual companies i haven't had much success in the past but i hope that i've learned my mistakes yep yep and it, you you mentioned about it right that, that you've learned from your mistakes and you've, you've tried to explore this avenue in terms of individual stocks as well. Is there a methodology you follow in terms of uh, analyzing a company, some numbers which, you know, which say that, hey, okay, this is a good company to start investing in, or do you follow a certain level of trends which are in the market? How do you uh, narrow down on this, uh, on this individual company? Well, the ones that I've had in the past haven't done well, and they're the ones that were hot tips from friends. So that's where I learned from those mistakes. I still am fine-tuning my strategy. So obviously I look at the dividends. I look at the growing dividends. I don't like a company with a lot of debt. I like a company that I understand and Mm -hmm. a company that I use. And I try to keep it pretty simple, actually. But again, this this is new for me. This is going to be a learning curve, but I won't be taking any hot tips from friends. That's for sure. Yeah, I think that's, that's not... That's not the best source because I think a lot of, what do you say, a lot of information gets thrown around here, you know, uh, because everyone hears the next best and biggest company out there. And then they say, hey, you've got to invest. And I think usually that's where, you know, people then go back and it's it's a down spiral from there. right? So that's that's a good thing to go about. <laughs> yeah. And you get FOMO. You think, oh, OK. <laughs> it's a bit like at work when everyone's buying lottery tickets and you think, well, OK, I got to buy a lottery ticket because everyone else is. I don't want to be the one that doesn't. Mm, yep. Correct. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. So I think in terms of, as you said, uh, Lee, where you said, OK, you've spoken about how you invest in the broad market index and then you speak about how you've tried to target some small companies, right? But the, you know, in, in, one interesting element whenever it comes to investing is the brokerage and the brokerage fees, correct? And I think you've 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 been an advocate throughout your videos where you say, you know, you're really not too concerned about the brokerage fees, yeah. But so the thing is, should investors not really worry about brokerage fees, or is there a methodology that you follow? There is a slight method that I follow, and obviously you don't want to be paying twenty dollars brokerage for five hundred dollar bundle of shares but in the beginning so I've stuck with Comsec like I know there's other cheaper brokerages out there but I'm happy with them and I think I'm paying $19.95 for a trade so $10 more than usual if you were to go maybe with one of the cheapest Mm -hmm. but in the beginning I was only investing small amounts so I was only investing a thousand dollars at a time because that's all we could afford and the brokerage fees are ten dollars with that amount And I know lots of people would have said that's way too much, but I didn't want to wait months until I bought my next thousand. And I just used to say, I see it as two cups of coffee and I'd rather go without two cups of coffee. I'd rather go without two cups of coffee 
and buy this $1,000 worth of shares than not, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. No. So I've never mm-hmm. really worried about it. And I know people people will probably be like, that's so wrong or that's not the right <laughs> way to look at it. But I can go and spend $10 going getting a smoothie or I can spend $10 getting some shares. So I just didn't worry about it. Correct. Yeah, so especially, so you so you use the approach that you're investing that $10 in something which is appreciating rather than something which is like a smoothie which will depreciate it. <laughs> yeah, and normally when I bought shares, I would take that $10 out of my spending money when I would buy the shares. But now we're obviously investing more, so I'm paying $19.95 or something like that for my brokerage. And so I'd like to now save up to maybe three or four thousand dollars at a time. All right. Yep. Got it. Mm. Got it. And I guess just kind of following up from that, would you still try to invest every month or would you try to space out the investments a little bit more to reduce the brokerage? So I would try and save up that three to four thousand dollars. So if that was every two months and I'd wait every two months. I'd probably mm. get itchy feet after three months, maybe, mm. but it really depends. Everyone's situation's different. But I do now try to save up that three to four thousand dollars. Yeah. Okay. And obviously, you invest uh, as a family, and uh, you got your husband involved as well. Can you just elaborate a little bit more about how you got him on board to investing, and also? I think you did a video recently about investing for your children as well. So wanted to just kind of understand what things you took to to understand the best way to invest for your children as well. Yeah, um, so two questions there. So it did take a while for my husband to get on board. And as I said, I'd been reading The Barefoot Investor. So I already kind of started thinking about, okay, investing is what I want to do. And I started kind of talking to him about it, but I was still trying to work it out myself. But what Mm. got him across the line was I just keep putting on YouTube videos. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And one YouTube video sparked his interest and got him on board. It was one about compound interest, obviously. Uh, And that got him on. And I'd also put on podcasts in the car. And (laughs) eventually he got on board. And I always said I'm the saver, he's the spender. Mm. So it did take a while and even now I think it balances me out, which is good. And <laughs> we have started investing for our boys and I actually held back a long time for investing with them because a lot of the advice was investment bonds and I just I just didn't like them. So mm. could, and then could I you didn't elaborate further about that? What what are investment bonds? So investment bonds sometimes they're called insurance bonds. So you can purchase mm-hmm. this investment bond. Like maybe I'm not the best person to explain explain it, but they do come with a higher fee and mm-hmm. there are a lot of rules around. So if you put in $1,000 the first year, you have to continue to put in $1,000 each year. Or yep. I believe if you drop the amount, then it's got to stay at the lower amount or something like that. But my main reason was the fees. Mm-hmm. And they do claim that they're capital gains. You don't pay capital gains tax on it if you keep it for uh, 10 years. But the company each year, as they're buying and selling, is paying capital gains tax, I believe. So the capital gains tax is actually getting paid along the way. So that's coming out of your returns. It's just Mm. too complex. Like I'm definitely not an expert on them, but I just Mm -hmm. didn't like the fees. I didn't like that. They claim to be tax-free, but they're not really because 
you're paying it along the way at 30 percent whoa that does seem high yeah and then so i've i don't know how i came across it but i maybe it was the instagram community but (laughs) i didn't know that within consec you can set up a minor trust account for your kids so that's what we've done yeah so it was so easy we did that and then i have to put in my tax file number with it so obviously Mm -hmm. any dividends or anything like that gets added to my income Mm -hmm. but at the end of the day we're not talking about huge amounts yeah so at the moment they actually only have well only um they have a thousand dollars invested each so the dividends are not going to be huge on that Mm. Mm. but i've actually decided to invest in afi Mm -hmm. right yep purely for the reason that they have the dssp so with the dssp the dividends don't get added to your taxable income so it doesn't really matter that my tax file number is associated with it so they'll get their bonus dividends each six months but it won't get added onto my income yep yep I think in an early podcast, I did mention that, and it's only AFI, and I think maybe one other lick that has that particular feature. So, yeah, that's really good. You're taking advantage of that. Yeah, WHF, Whitefield. But mm. I was doing some Googling the other day, and there's a few others now. Oh, right. Oh, is okay. it? And, but I think they might have some sort of, I don't know, they might be linked to AFI a little bit. I'm not sure. I was reading in a Facebook group. Uh, similar similar uh, management or similar something, but they do right. have the DSSP, another one. There you oh, go. Okay. Yeah, it's a good deal if you're on a high income. Mm, uh, we're not sure. on a high income, but one day we might be. But they keep yeah. they keep moving the tax brackets. So I'm mm-hmm. like, yes, well, maybe true. we might be in that bracket, and now they've moved it. And I'm like, oh, I don't think we'll ever be in that tax bracket. But <laughs> who knows? Earning dividends and income, you know, when you add those two together, absolutely. could be a sizable income. Absolutely. And it's always good to be on the lookout for, you know, uh, all of these different happenings out there, right? You never know when the situation could change and, you know, you could benefit from it. So fantastic. And I think the, one of the best strategies you mentioned was, I think, and thanks to you, because in one of your podcasts where you had said that how you managed to get your husband on board, that's a similar type of strategy I use from there to get my wife on board, you know keep some of the YouTube channels playing or keep a couple of podcasts. So thank you for that. I think I used the strategy after listening to some of your videos. Yeah, that's awesome. I think lots of people struggle with getting their partner on board, which is hard. Mm. I get that question a lot. And I actually answered it in a recent video. And I kind of said that relationships are like you have to compromise in relationships it's give and take so if someone wants to invest someone wants to spend maybe you need to find the halfway point and come to an agreement because that's what relationships are about give and take compromise and then maybe one day as they start to see the benefits of investing over spending then maybe the scales might tip into the favor of more investing but it's just it is really hard correct Correct. No, absolutely. I think sometimes because, as you said, right, it's it's the different chain of thought sometimes because like in, just to give you a case of what my wife, uh, her strategy is, you know, why are you going for the share route? Why not uh, take a property investment route, which is not a bad way to look at it. Like it's a different uh, chain of thought. Right. But it's like how you rightly pointed out, reaching the middle ground and, you know, somewhere in, in between and say that, hey, OK, you know, both the strategies, you can try different things out there. But 
you know eventually things will come around so and that's you got to you got to hope for you know that particular instance to work out <laughs> yeah that's right perfect perfect so i think uh, lee you also mentioned in one of your videos right i think you've covered really good topics in your videos one of them was uh, you know i think one of the best videos out there at least to try to understand debt recycling do you still intend to implement the strategy we do that video broke me the numbers oh, it's such a easy concept to simplify but when you try and break it down it got complicated we do intend to debt recycle yep. it is complicated for us so we're actually also at the moment thinking of an investment property so because our incomes aren't high we have troubles getting finance and because my husband's self-employed it's even harder mm-hmm. so at the moment we're trying to refinance and we're trying to get an investment property yep. if that doesn't and then i think we might have to sit for a year or two and save up a bit more money because i think that will be at our maximum Mm-hmm. So we'll have to pay down some debt to then debt recycle. If we don't go down the investment property route, then we can obviously start debt recycling. But it is hard because my husband's self-employed and we're not on huge income. So the bank doesn't want to lend us as much money as I know that we'd be able to repay because we mm-hmm. don't spend a month. We don't spend heaps, but yep. it's just complicated. But I'm really keen mm. and I'd, I would have loved to start yesterday but it's just hard when you're self-employed yeah yeah fair enough and i think also you mentioned in the video not all banks are going to be able to offer this and it's only certain banks and as you mentioned just then as well it is i guess subject to their lending criteria and how they look at your expenses some you know look at actuals but some i guess just take your postcode and, and make an estimate on on what you spend. They don't really look look at actuals, which can be a downside for people that are good savers. So, yeah, lots to lots to consider for for debt recycling. Wanted to just move on to another topic, which was the NAB Equity Builder, which you have mentioned in a couple of your videos as well. So, I guess can you tell me a bit further about what made you use that to invest in the stock market, and do you think using leverage for stocks is risky? So, I always wanted to borrow to invest, so I wanted to debt recycle, and then in March we had that big drop, mm, and yep. I was like, oh, I can't really refinance right now and borrow some equity and invest. So I had a look at the NAB equity builder and I thought, oh, okay, why not? And Mm -hmm. so I put in an application and I was hoping to get that approved so I could buy the dip, right? (laughs) And As they all talk about. (laughs) Yeah. It took three months for them to approve it. So I didn't quite get that opportunity, but I did, I have implemented some of, I think, I applied for $50,000 because at the time too, our incomes aren't huge. So I was worried we'll get knocked back. So I didn't Mm. want to apply for too much and then get knocked back. So it was $50,000. We have borrowed 40 of it. So there's still 10 more thousand dollars sitting there to use for when, when I decide. And so far it's done really well, but the share market's been going crazy at the moment. We we don't know why. And so that obviously has helped. And it's going well. And I don't want to downplay the risk because borrowing to invest is risky. But the way I used to see it as well, so I got this $50,000, I can take, it just creates a tax deductible investment for me, really. Mm. 
Okay. But, yep. 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 So you can use it as as um uh, as part of your tax return, which is good and kind of helps then perhaps lower yourself in, into a different bracket. Yeah. So instead of taking my cash and investing fifty thousand dollars, I can take my fifty thousand dollars and I can pay that off my home loan, and then I can take a loan from the NAB Equity Builder and invest that fifty thousand dollars. So now mm. I've it's the same thing, but I have a fifty thousand dollar tax deductible debt and a lower home loan. Mm, so right. same amount that's of smart. debt. Yeah, that's how I saw it. And that's really similar to debt recycling. It's just that the NAB equity builder sits separate to your home loan. Mm, that, that was, that's a good good uh, insight actually there. So thank you for that, Lee. You also touched upon, you know, just, just prior to this conversation, you touched upon property investments, right? And you said that you would be interested in exploring that avenue. Do you think that the property market is a bit overvalued? Uh, in the way it is and uh, is there a good time ever to get into the property market looking at the way it is? I don't think it's a good time to be getting in the property market as we are finding at the Mm. moment. So now we are looking at investment property but I wouldn't call it an investment at the moment because it's more of a lifestyle investment because we're looking at a holiday unit up the coast Mm-hmm. So this is where I'm torn because I know the numbers aren't right because I know that I could invest my money elsewhere in better locations and better spots. But for us, we love the beach. So we've this is what we want to do for our family. And I have trouble spending money, so it's really hard. But that's what we're wanting to do. And the market's going crazy. Absolutely. And it's going crazy. And then we were also thinking before this of selling our home and moving to a better area with better schools. Mm-hmm. And there's no way I'd be wanting to try and buy a house at the moment. It's just going nuts in Brisbane. I think it's pretty much everywhere, I guess. It's, um, and I think I was, I was speaking to Sam the other day and uh, my wife and I also are planning to, you know, buy a place to stay, right? So we've been going for these inspections every, every weekend maybe. <laughs> uh, predominantly, I think that's what we do on the weekends. Just go out and see and like, go out for inspections and, the market is just, just as you said, just gone crazy. We trying to explore both areas, right? You want to have a right balance of location and all of that stuff, but uh, it's just gone way, way over. So yeah, that's interesting thoughts and interesting times. Whether to really get into the market right now or just just wait it out. You never know. There could be another lull out there. <laughs> yeah, I just don't know. I just don't know how it can continue this way. To be honest. But at the same time, I, I don't want to not buy and then it just go up and up and up. So yep. Yep. our yep. theory is this this unit we're never going to sell, so it really doesn't matter oh, if right. I pay a slightly more for it or if I buy it and then three months later the price goes down. So All right. So you're using a very similar type of approach to your share portfolio, right? Just buy and hold and don't think about selling at the yes. moment. Yeah, yes, in the long hopefully. Time. Hopefully, yeah. Good, good. All right. Now, I guess talking about other kind of investments, so Lee, what are your thoughts on Bitcoin and gold? Should they be part of a diversified portfolio or are they something that people should just totally ignore? What are your thoughts? I'm not for or against either. But I am having a bit of FOMO about missing out on Bitcoin, but then maybe (laughs) maybe I haven't missed out yet. But I don't know. I'm all about investing in things you understand. And to be honest, I don't really understand Bitcoin and Mm -hmm. I don't 
like I understand goal, but I don't really think why. I think why sometimes because mm. isn't Bitcoin just the same as gold but in a digital version? That is know. the general kind of consensus yeah. out there that it's yeah, digital so, gold, so to say. Yep. I don't know. Sometimes I think about just throwing some money in Bitcoin, money that isn't put away for investments. But at the moment, if you look at the chart for Bitcoin, it goes up and down and up and down and everyone's buying while it's going up. And I just mm. might sit on the sidelines for a while, I think. <laughs> <laughs> and gold, that's something that I guess people can purchase through ETFs and well, that's probably one of the easiest way an everyday investor can get into gold. Do you think that that should form part of a portfolio? So if you look at things, you know, where they talk about a, a perfect portfolio or the optimum portfolio, they do tend to have a little bit of gold in there. Do you think that it should form part of a portfolio or, or not really? I think it depends on your risk tolerance. So I have a high mm. risk tolerance. So I'm I'm all for riding the waves, I think. So I don't really need gold in there to even things out but i really do, it probably does come down to people's risk tolerance to be honest yeah that's a good answer and lee just coming to you know newer investors you know who really want to get into the market right who just want to get a feel of things there you know micro investing apps have become super popular now right people are heard about ray spaceship you know investing apps like that would you consider a micro investing app as part of your strategy being a more experienced investor do you think there's a there's a place for the uh, for an experienced investor to use those investing apps i don't think so once you start using you know your other brokers i did actually have a raise account and i closed it so i opened a raise account because they have rewards, a bit like shop back and cash rewards. So I thought, okay, I'm going to open raise. I'm just going to use the rewards and I'm going to let my rewards build up. And mm. then I discovered cash back and shop back and cash rewards. And I'm like, wow. And so I was like, so then I was checking between the three to see which ones had the best deals and raise never did. And then I ended up paying this monthly fee. And the monthly fees were huge, really, for what I had invested in there. So I was like, well, no, this Mm. isn't worth it. So I closed Mm. it. But I never opened it for the intention to use it as an investment. But I thought it was a good way to use that money and to grow it. But I ended up using cash rewards and shop back anyway. All right. All right. All right. So it's it was not you don't think it's I think based on your personal experience, it looked like it, it doesn't once you have a more more uh, experienced type of uh, investing approach, maybe those micro investment apps is not something which form part of a strategy that is right. No, but I do like Concept Pocket. So mm-hmm. because they are chess sponsored. So if you buy your ETFs in Concept Pocket, you can transfer them over when you change to any other broker. You don't have to sell them. So I really like that idea. So you could be buying up smaller parcels if that's all you can. And mm-hmm. then eventually, if you want to start investing larger amounts or you want to choose different ETFs because I think they only have seven ETFs. So if you eventually want to choose different ETFs, you can go and open a Comsec account or a self-wealth account and then you can start trading in there and then you can transfer your ETFs over where Raise does, you can't do that. You have to sell down everything and Spaceship, you have to sell down everything. Yep, yep. I think, Mm. uh, yeah, that's the flexibility in a way that you get with the Comsec Pocket it's flexibility with that limited flexibility, right? Because you said that there are only those seven options of the ETFs in, within Comsec, but yeah, a little bit more, you know, flexible as opposed to the other two, which you mentioned. Yeah, I think they're good for beginners. I think they're a good starting point just to learn about investing in the market. But 
just to build confidence. No, absolutely. And I think it, uh, I think it kind of instills like a, you know, a budget building habit. Like you, you got to set aside some amount of money per week or month to just put it on those apps. So that gives you that habit in terms of planning for investments, right? Yeah, That's a definitely. good starting point. Yeah. I also think probably out of the three, Comsec Pocket is probably also the best one, in my opinion, anyway. I think Jude, you and I will do a deeper dive into into all three in another podcast. But yeah, just with the information I've seen, I kind of think Comsec Pocket is also probably the better one. So Lee, we did touch on this a little bit before where you kind of prefer the broad range ETFs over some of the thematics, but are there any kind of thematics that uh, spark your interest at all? There's a lot of talk these days about the ethical investing and there's a lot of ethical ETFs out there, biotech ETFs, anything at all that kind of sparks your interest? The ethical ones do definitely. As I said earlier, not really the other ones because I kind of start to think that it kind of takes away from the point of ETFs when you start, mm. you're really starting to kind of stock pick, but on a, on a broader broader area. So to me, yep. it kind of takes away the purpose. And then they, a lot of them come with higher fees as well, which I don't like. But mm-hmm. we are, I do like the ethical options and we are actually looking at adding an ethical ETF. I just haven't decided what one yet. Okay. Yep. All yep. Right. I think BlackRock, BetaShares, Vanguard, they all offer some sort of ethical ETFs, if I'm not mistaken. Is that right? Yeah. To some degree, yeah. Yeah, they do. So I just mm. need to I just need to sit down really. I actually want to make a video of it and just go through, you know, all the different options, the fees awesome. and what they've that what they've returned and go from there. And Leon, on that topic of ETFs, right? There are a couple of options out there which which just are, you know, one investment like in terms of uh, portfolio-based investments, right? Like, uh, say, for example, the VDHG, which is a one one investment which kind of takes care of the way you want to proportion your, your percentages into different uh, allocations. Your thoughts on that? Have you used any of those products and uh, any anything in terms of how, how they are, if you've used them? I haven't used VDHG. At the beginning, I just didn't like it because it wasn't 100% growth. So it's got 90% growth. It's got 10% defensive assets. So I just didn't really, it just wasn't for me. And then as I keep looking at it, it keeps having crazy distributions, like really high distributions. And part of that is capital gains being passed on, which I don't like because obviously they have to rebalance those percentages. So there's some buying on selling or crossover. So those distributions aren't just dividends, they're capital gains getting passed on. So mm. I did a video about DHHF, which is Good 100% growth. And I have been thinking about that one, but I want to keep an eye on it for a bit longer and just to see because I only recently changed change that allocation to 100% growth. So I just want to see how it goes. But at the same time, I'm happy with my ETFs I already have. Mm -hmm. I can see how they would be appealing for people that just want to have one, they just want to set and forget, and they just want to invest in that one. They're perfect for that. Yep. All right. But then, you know, just coming back to that that percentage allocations you mentioned, right? Like, you know, that 90-10 split, because VDHD has a 90-10 and now... DHHF has got, I think they've rechanged that particular outlook and made it full 100%. But how do you, like, 
in in investments like these or even any investments which are you know uh, have exposures to you know shares predominantly uh, they're more aggressive assets right how do you adjust for risks in your portfolio and uh, you know it's like say for example you see a downturn out here right and there could be a considerable hit in terms of your portfolio value so uh, do you take any steps in terms of the way you balance your portfolio to adjust for any risks not really i just try and keep my allocation with my percentages my 60 40 so if if international's gone down then obviously i'm buying international while it's down if aussie's gone down i'm buying aussie etfs while they've gone down I don't really feel the need at this point in time, maybe because I'm nowhere near financial independence and stopping work and I'm not really having to rely on my portfolio for income Mm -hmm. or to live. Mm -hmm. We just try and dollar cost average. I only implemented that maybe less than 12 months ago and it's worked so well for me Mm because I said earlier I'm an anxious investor and it really has helped me. And I think I've done better since implementing that because I used to sit and think about when I should buy, when I shouldn't, and all this noise about the stock market being overvalued. Mm -hmm. And I would have held back in the past, but I just kept dollar cost averaging. And as you know, the stock market's been doing so well. So my portfolio has done really well just through dollar cost averaging. Fantastic. Good to hear. So that's also the same kind of strategy I'm using more often now, simply just dollar cost averaging into broad ETFs. And I've also found that that it does alleviate a lot of anxiety and, and stress. So yeah, I'm, I'm definitely with you on that one. And just out of curiosity, though, if you were to start from scratch, would you do anything differently? What, what would you change about your investing and your portfolio? I'd probably start with ETFs rather than individual companies because, I don't know, I just started with individual companies. I thought that's what you did and then I started (laughs) to do more research and then I found out about ETFs. So I probably Mm. would have just started with ETFs and I probably would have started debt recycling first um, rather than now. But I think it's all a learning curve because I've said it before, like the NAB equity builder has kind of with the $50,000 debt, it's kind of built up my confidence with borrowing to invest. Mm. It's been like a stepping stone and now I'm ready to debt recycle. Thinking of it now, I probably back when I just started investing, it probably wouldn't have been a good idea actually if I had <laughs> borrowed to invest because I just didn't understand enough. So I might take that back. Probably wouldn't have been a good idea to borrow to invest, but that would have been mathematically the best thing to do, but not psychologically for me. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. But like start with ETFs, dollar cost average. Once you build a bit more confidence, then look at things like the NAB equity builder and then also debt recycling as, as you start building more confidence, right? Yes. Awesome. And uh, Lee, another one of you in terms of, you know, if you have to just recollect, what would would you consider to be your most successful investment so far? And what's been, without putting it too negatively, what's been your worst investment so far? (laughs) Okay. So I, so we've had our house here. That's obviously been a good investment we've had for four years. And then we had a unit in closer to town which has been a bad investment Hmm. we had to sell that to move here so I kind of think that I don't know we sold out of that to get here so it's kind of been a good thing but units in Brisbane just went nowhere and 
my husband and bought that at the top of just before the GFC. Yep. And then just unit prices in Brisbane went nowhere and then we start I was pregnant and we needed to get a bigger place and we got this house really cheap. Mm-hmm. Uh, an off market deal and so it's been really good for us really. We took a loss on that, but the loss we took on that has obviously helped us out heaps here. In terms of in other investments, so my worst investments were my speculative ones, the ones that were <laughs> hot tips. So I invested in a marijuana listed investment company for medicinal marijuana. So yeah. that was stupid. <laughs> <laughs> I in I invested in a mining company, one of my husband's friends told us to. And then I invested in Wagner's Concrete because they're from my hometown and I don't know, I just thought, oh, yeah, I'll invest in that. I know all about Wagner's Concrete. And they just did so bad. So I sold out of all of those. And then my best investment at the moment is a speculative one, but I haven't invested a lot in it, so it's probably not a huge gain. Mm-hmm. And then I did buy A2 Milk, and that was my next best. Um, <laughs> and I sold out of it. Oh, at the right time, I must say. And then my third best is actually VAS, Vanguard's oh. Australia Index. So when you look at those, it just goes to show that I, like, now that I'm looking at individual companies again, my mistakes were just companies that I listened to other people from. Mm. And I didn't understand them. I just was investing in them because I thought I was going to get rich. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I, think I just that, didn't understand how it all worked. So no, I've my lessons. But I think that's how mostly everyone looks at it. Right? When you first start off, you, you look at you look at that one particular investment where you think, you know what, hey, if I invest in this and if I get super rich quick, you know, that's the best case scenario. But more often than not, that doesn't really happen, right? No. And, and, and just talking on that point of A2 milk, you know, Sam and I, we're still, we're still hoping that things turn around because we, yep. we are invested in <laughs> A2 milk. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> uh, but, and, then, yeah. Yeah, and then when I look at it too, so I've had individual stocks that done have done really well and then I had some that have done really poorly. So in the end, it just works out average. So I might as well invest in ETFs for an average return without the stress. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's, I think, predominantly for most investors out there, I think that's the way to go about it. Because if you don't want to take all that stress or you can't handle that volatility in the market, right? Yeah, I think that's that's the best approach, a hassle-free approach at least, rather than being stressed in terms of picking up individual stocks and saying, you know, hey, <laughs> this is the way to go about it. And this is going to be the next big thing, right? So yeah, yeah I think that's, that's definitely some sound advice there. Lee, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you today, you know, and in closing, do you have any advice you would give to a family that may be in a similar situation to yours that are considering to starting to invest and where should they start? Great question. Well, I suppose starting is probably the biggest hurdle. And once you start, it all kind of starts to fall into place. Like for even me, I started investing small amounts and as I invested those small amounts, my knowledge and confidence built over time. And of course, I made a few mistakes, but they were with small amounts. And now I'm investing bigger amounts and I've learned from those mistakes and I've learned along the way. And I'm pretty happy with where we're at now. And 
I think it comes down to, I think what really helped us is having goals and having a clear direction. So before I discovered financial independence, I was always a saver, but I don't know what happened to that money. Like there was no purpose to it. And now I have a purpose and I have goals and I have mini goals and they're breaking and they're broken down. I think that was the big thing for us is having this big picture goals and working back from that way. And then another thing that really helped us was writing down every expense, tracking our expenses, going through them, separating them from essential to non-essential and then looking at those non-essentials and seeing how much we're spending, what we're spending our money on and having a look to see, well, is this important to us? Yes or no. If it's important, keep it. If it's not, get rid of it. And that's, that's it great. really, I think. That's great. That's great. And good good sound advice, you know, for someone just starting over it in terms of it. So thank you so much for that. That's all right. Thanks, guys. Lee, it was a real pleasure having you on the podcast today. So thank you everyone for listening in. I hope you enjoyed the show. Please check out the Family Finance YouTube channel if you haven't done so already and subscribe. Just search Family Finance on YouTube. And always, please check out our website if you haven't done so already, oz-investing.com, spelled oz-investing, and consider joining our email list. We also have social media as well on our website. If you'd like to contact us, send us through an email. It's ozinvesting2020 at gmail.com or through the contact section on our website. So with all that said and done, I hope you enjoy the rest of your day and we'll catch you in the next episode. See you later.